Hello, welcome to Winging It Forward. I'm Dylan. This is my co-host. Hello, everyone. I'm Mac. You can find me on Twitter at, at Perry underscore Dill. Well, you can't really find me anywhere <laughs> because I'm not a big technology person, which is our topic for today. Because exactly. I'm an old man. I mean, I'll be 55 in July, as everyone knows. thought you were going to be 70, but, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm older than dirt, but uh, it's okay. So why is it that you chose to do an episode on my generation and technology? You know, that's a great question. And I'll be perfectly blunt with you because it makes you lazy. Oh, does it? Does it really? It makes you guys so damned lazy. It's unbelievable. Well, how so? How so? Because as far as I know, we've had more technological innovation in the last 50 years than we have in the last thousand years previous. Well, it, 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 that, at first of all, it, it depends on how you define technology. But do I define technology by walking into your home and having your home talk to you and tell you who you are because you already know who you are? And do I define technology by every time you take a squat, you know, that you have to let the world know that and tweet it out or whatever, do I define that as good technology? No, I'm sorry, I don't. Well, I think I think I can agree with you there. I've never been a huge fan of the constant social media updates that a lot of people tend to have in their daily life. I feel that not only is it harmful to them to feel the need to check in with everybody every single moment, but it's also harmful for other people. I could see that argument because when you only see the positive sides of every person's life, it makes you feel really inadequate, you know? When you only see their vacations and their smiles and their exuberance and you, you never see them being alone, being sad, crying. Mm-hmm. And that's a human thing. I think we lose that. We definitely do lose that. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree with that. Uh, yeah, social media. Let's talk about that right. uh, quickly. Am I on Facebook? Yes, I'm on Facebook. Do okay. I post things on Facebook very often? No. Okay. If my dog dies or my cat dies, do I post it on Facebook? No, I don't do that. But if one of my daughters does something incredible that I want all my family members and friends to know about, I certainly would post that. But, you know, I see this all the time. And and believe me, I love animals. I love them. I mean, I'm a big dog person, but if your dog dies, your dog dies. Do you have to let everyone know that your dog died? Do you have to let everyone know that your great-great-aunt, who you haven't seen in seven or eight years, that she died? Do you really need to let everyone know that? I don't think it's a question of letting people know. I think it's a question of making sure that people know you're going through something, right? In the same way that people cry for help all the time, you could see a post on social media as an outlet to allow people to express themselves in the hopes that others will come to their rescue, so to speak. Because how else would you know? Before social media, I could be going through some serious, serious thing and no one would know about it. I wouldn't feel the need to let anybody know about it. 
And in the age of information, I feel that we're much more interconnected than we ever have been. And I find that that's a really good thing. Well, you know, there used to be these folks, they were called neighbors. I had a dog. His name was Shep. He was a collie that came to this country actually from Ireland. He died. He finally died when I was about 14 years old. Now, I didn't have the social media, obviously, thank goodness, in those days, but all the neighbors knew Shep because we never fenced Shep in. Mm -hmm. Shep was a dog who would go out and he knew all the neighbors, and he would even check on neighbors sometimes. He was just this great, incredible collie. And when Shep died, the neighborhood found out about it, and yes, we buried Shep in the backyard, and you would think that a human died because all the people who showed up, but they were all neighbors. They all truly knew Shep. And with social media, because of the disconnect there, if my cat dies tomorrow, nobody, uh, none of my friends, I don't have a cat, I would never have a cat, but if I had <laughs> a cat, and all these other folks who had never met my cat, uh, you know, they're like, oh, 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 oh that's <laughs> terrible. And, you know, I see I see all these, uh, what do they call those emojis. things? Emojis. Emojis. I didn't even know what the hell an emoji was until a couple of months ago. And, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your cat. But they had never met the cat before. You know, there was no human connection to that cat. And, 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 and once again, I'll continue to rely on this whole human connection thing throughout uh, your questioning well it just it brings me back to this concept of you know i i don't believe in it but a lot of people believe in a soulmate that there's one person out there that is perfect for you and you just got to find your soulmate that's out there waiting for you well if you do the math you don't come into contact with even a single percent of the population on a daily basis let alone throughout your entire life Right. Odds are your soulmate somewhere in China because they have a population of a few billion people. So that being said, if we didn't have social media, how would we connect with those billion people? Not not only in China, but the likely 7.5 billion people that aren't even in the United States or in your state or in your city or in your your local area. You know, I just feel that the reach of possible friendships, of possible acquaintances, of business partners just is broadened by social media. Yes. Well, are you referring to dating sites? Not not necessarily dating sites, but <clears throat> even then, I don't I don't particularly think that they're the greatest thing for dating, but I think that they allow you to meet people that you would never have even thought of meet before. Yes, but what about destiny then? You know, you walk into a bar all right, you're 25 years old, 26 years old. You look across a room and you see this woman and you instantly know. And you walk up to her and you say, hi, my name is John Doe. I just, I was standing at the bar. I see you over here talking to your friends. I just have to meet you. And would you like to share a drink with me or perhaps dinner? Whatever happened to those days? That's how I met my girlfriend. But in a bar. In a, in a hookah bar. You know, I wasn't 
21. But. I don't even know what the hell that is. <laughs> but I know, believe me, I'm not going to lie to you, Dylan. I know plenty of people who've, who've met folks online. I just, it's just not for me, and, and I just don't understand it. And yes, when th- th- there's always been personal ads, and then you start up a friendship writing letters back and forth, you know, through the newspaper. So that's always been there. But it's become so prevalent, you know, you don't really know about a person, you know, because it, when social media is involved, do they really present themselves? In other words, let me ask you a question. Okay. Say, I mean, you have a significant other, obviously, who is a very, very beautiful woman, for Thank those you. of you who don't know. I'm taking folks. <laughs> she just stunningly beautiful woman. But if you did not have her in your life and you were looking for a person such as her, would you really rely on such a thing as online dating? I don't think I would personally just because there are certain biological things that are really important for a relationship. Right? I don't want to get all nitty gritty, but your pheromones have to align. Exactly. You have to find the and person. And that's my point. But you're casting a wider net, right? You might not be hitting every shot or catching every giant marlin that you see, but you're casting a wider net and allowing you to find the marlin that you might not have found before. Yeah, I can understand that. But I just think it's, once again, taking away the social aspect of humans interacting with each other. I think that that's part of it, but I don't think it's necessarily taking away something. I think that it's likely amping up a previous system that we've already relied upon, right? If you meet a stranger, you don't walk up to them and tell them your life story. You just, you present to them a part of yourself, a version of yourself that you think that they'll accept. Well, social media has just taken that a step further where you can curate how people will perceive you. I think it's, it's a great tool. But I think it can be misused. It certainly can be misused, and I think it is all the time. I mean, you see people murdering other people when they lure them to their homes. But I think it's just more than that. I I think, you know, when I met my wife, I met her at a, and I had a date. As a matter of fact, I was on a date, and I and I met my wife, and a lot of people who know me understand this story, and I've heard it before. And I had a date, and she had a little too much to drink, so she spent a lot of time in the in the uh, restrooms at a, at this jazz festival that was outside. And I sat on this blanket with a whole bunch of other people, and I met this incredible woman. She was without a date, and I knew right away. As soon as I saw her, as soon as I shook her hand, as soon as I met her, I knew that she was the one who would have our two incredible daughters, that she would be my wife. It wasn't social media. It was at an event. Whatever happened to those, people meeting at those, whatever happened to people meeting on the subway, whatever happened to people meeting on buses, whatever happened to people meeting, uh, not so much at work, I guess, because that's frowned upon now, but whatever just happened to people meeting just 
just meeting in person and knowing right away. I mean, it, it's just it's just taking away, in my opinion, all of this social media is taking away. I don't even know why they call it social media because it's not social at all mm. in terms of of what humans have gone through throughout the last, I mean, how many years? Thousands and thousands of years. It's not social at all. It's just digital. Well, it's a it's a digital socialization. As I said before, it's not the socialization that we know or that we're comfortable with, but it's the socialization that is in the modern world. This is something that, like it or not, it's here and companies have accepted it and people are using it. Of course, it has negative side effects, of course. But it also has a lot of positive things that I think balance out those negatives. It just becomes expedient. And in, in, in generations prior to this, people waited to find their soulmate. Mm. Today, everybody wants everything right now. Mm. I mean, they just want, they're broken up from their last boyfriend and they get right online, they set up an account. I don't even know these places, you know. They set up an account and they want another boyfriend just like that. It's just expedient. And I think that's wrong, I, I, in my opinion. Mm. Not wrong for them, and because that's what they want, and I can't judge them. But for me, I could never do something like that. The, this whole thing that we're discussing today is just all about expediency because we, well, not me, but people of your generation, and mm-hmm. I'm going to throw a stone at you here, <laughs> you want everything right now. I mean, you guys want everything delivered to you. You get on the Internet. You are researching a paper. You're a college student. And you want that information right now so that you can Cut it and paste it and stick it in your paper, change a few words, and then cite the source. Whereas in the old days, it was much more fun because it was much more like a treasure hunt when you were writing a paper. So from an academic point and from a social point and from all these other things, I just think we've lost ourselves and we've become just too connected. Well, I would argue that specifically in an academic point, right? My mom is a doctor. Now that she has a medical database with information from every case that's ever been recorded in history put online, she can diagnose people with things that she wouldn't even think to diagnose them with. Her biological limitations, they've been completely renovated with the advent of technology. Let's say a patient comes in coughing up blood. She might think, oh, he has something wrong with his lungs. Well, what if what if he has some some incredibly rare disease that's never even been conceived in her mind? The advent of the internet has allowed her to discover things and find out things and make these incredible diagnoses that she never would have been able to without. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know when you go to medical school and and first of all I'd, I'd like to preface this. Uh, I've met your mother. She's an incredible woman. Um, and she's a wonderful doctor, <clears throat> although she's never seen me naked. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Uh, I've been looking forward to it, but she just hasn't. But yes, I do agree that, that technology used properly, especially when it comes to the medical field, is an incredible opportunity for doctors 
in small towns, even, I mean, especially in small towns, mm-hmm. to be able to diagnose issues that they've never seen before. They were never exposed to it in med school. They were never exposed to it in the residency. And yes, they have that iPad or they have that computer. So yes, when it comes to the medical field, I have no argument against technology and uh, what's going on there because it does give doctors an opportunity to relearn some things that they hadn't seen for a very long time and recognize things. But uh, the bottom line is that they're able to save lives and, and that's what it's all about. I just, I think that with a lot of technology, I will admit there are bad things that come with it. You know, it's, I'm a college student. I don't do it. Wink, wink. But it's much easier to plagiarize than it ever has been in the history of, of school. Yeah. You can pay somebody in God knows where to write your paper for you. Mm-hmm. That was just not unthinkable, but it was it was not nearly as effective as it is today. It's typed. They can't match your handwriting to it. So there are some definite downfalls. However, we also have this incredible thing called Google that you can learn whatever you want from. You can go and watch lectures from MIT on YouTube. It's not even necessary to have to go through years of schooling and incur student debt and try and figure out what it is you want to do. You can do all that in an afternoon, you know, if you're really motivated. I'm I'm being hyperbolic, of course, but. Yeah, I mean, I've seen those lectures from MIT, from Harvard, from Princeton, from Yale, all the Ivy League schools do that. And I think that's great for someone's own self-edification. However, they don't get a degree from that. Now, they can get online and go and get uh, a four-year degree in 18 or 19 months only because these universities have sold out and used this technology in order to boost themselves up. I mean, there are some major universities out there using this technology saying, hey, Come here, get a degree in computer science. You can do it all online. But to be perfectly honest with you, as you know, I, I, I do teach online courses. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm being a bit hypocritical here, but it does pay the bills. But I've always, I mean, I come from the generation where you went into a classroom, you sat down, the professor came up there smoking a pipe or smoking cigarettes one after the other, (laughs) you know, you filled up five or six pages of notes and you had that experience, that real college experience. Because afterwards, if you wanted to meet with that professor in his or her office, you could do so. Or you could meet them at the local or at the campus RAT, which I did many times as an undergraduate. And even as as a graduate student, I got to know my professors very well from a social basis. And there wasn't any Facebook in those days. There wasn't, we didn't have online this, our online that. I mean, but we got to know each other socially and it all began with a handshake. And that is one thing that you can't do because we're gonna talk about business, I guess, in a minute. You know, there just isn't that human interaction again, and I keep going back to that. Well, before we jump to business, I actually was reading this thing about, it's a program called Digital Aristotle. I didn't know you could read. Ah, it's been a struggle. I've been teaching myself for the past (laughs) few days. There's this program called Digital Aristotle, and it is to the mind of any person 
as Aristotle was to Plato, that one-on-one -on -one connection with a teacher that understands you at the core, right? So this technology follows children up through college and onward possibly, and it finds out their weaknesses, it finds out their learning strengths, it finds out where they excel, it finds out their preferred learning style. Everything about this kid is archived, and then all the information that they need to be taught is fed to them at any rate that they're comfortable with. You'll no longer have a, a body of you know, 50 students, 10 of which are so advanced that they're gonna be falling asleep during the lecture, and 10 of which that are so behind that they're not gonna be knowing what you're saying. You know, that's, that's one of the main problems with, I think, the current education system is that you have five, not even five, you have 10 or 20 students for every one teacher, where the best possible form of education is a one-to-one -one basis. It's a person that understands you teaching to you rather than a person that understands the material teaching at you. Well, first of all, I could go on for days about Aristotle and, of, of course, Plato and, and, and his theory of the forms, which has many holes in it. So anything based on that, I would say is a bunch of hoo-ha <laughs> because what they both wish to do is to put people in categories. And as an undergraduate, for me especially, I never fit in one of those categories. Right. Okay, so the program you're talking about wants to take all this information and they want to all have these PhDs or whomever look at it and say, okay, you're going to look, uh, you're the, this learning style, you're this learning style, you're this learning style. Are they tactile? Are they audio? Are they visual learners? And then they place them into these things whereas a human being a real human being mm -hmm. in front of you when you go into your professor's office you can sit down and talk to she or he and you can say I'm having a problem understanding what Voltaire really meant when he talked about tending your own garden now mm -hmm. I want to know how somebody does that digitally well that's the thing is that they don't even need to is that the program will likely be so sophisticated that it will be able to interpret how the person perceives the information that it's being fed. Yeah, but are they learning anything or are they just shooting back the information as you just said that they've been fed? What about what people think? Well, how could it, how is it any different in the classroom? I'm just, I'm sort of- I think there's a vast difference. You know, I've taught classes online and I continue to do so. And I've taught classes in person. And I get much more feedback from students when I teach in person than I do online. And it's just because when technology is introduced and say a student emails me, mm -hmm. okay, they have me a question. They, they, they email me a question. I send them back. Uh, response but they don't know the tone that I'm using they have no idea how I'm sitting they have no idea what my posture is on that particular subject other than just telling me back in a later paper what I just told them in an email I just really think in education it's keeping people from thinking and not only that I would also suggest that it's giving people who don't have the ability that other college students did back in the old days when I was a student 
It's giving them the ability to have a college degree when perhaps they shouldn't have one. I mean, there are plenty of people out there who just, because of the digital age, are getting college degrees and it's all online and it's become almost vocational. Right, a rite of passage rather than something earned for a reason. Exactly, I right. mean, when you know, when I, when I was an undergraduate, I went to college, I had no idea what I wanted to do mm-hmm. when I got out of college. I didn't even conceive of getting a job after college. You know, I thought I'd bartend or something, you know, until I figured out what I wanted to do. But when I graduated from college, I knew that I had that experience of being educated, of being exposed to all these different things and all these different minds that I got to know personally Mm -hmm. on a personal basis. And when I was in graduate school, it was the same way. And then I finally found my niche, but it took me a long time. I mean, why don't we just start turning universities into vocational schools as far as this online stuff turning them into vocational schools and saying okay you take all these classes and we're going to give you a college degree but what does that college degree really mean can these people discuss plato can they really discuss aristotle can they do they have any idea what's going on in the liberal arts or the humanities do they have any idea about American history? Because I see these types of students all the time who are getting CEUs, continuing education units, because they need to have them because they haven't been exposed to the things that I teach online. And it bothers me that that this the, the system has become so focused on money, the educational system has become so focused on money, not just at the university level, but at the high school level as well. We yeah. see this all the time. Well, as you said, Somebody who doesn't have the background that they need or the information that they need to succeed in academia. Somebody that's just going through the motions and doing it because they think it's the right thing to do, not because they want to. This technology, sort of almost a personal tutor that follows you throughout your entire life from the first day of pre-K or kindergarten to the day that you retire, I think that that would probably know you better than than even yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, you know, this is getting almost techpocalyptic, right? Computers and, and AIs deciding what we do for a living. I don't know. I just think that sort of a, a pocket tutor, maybe not the answer to every question, but I think it's a damn good step forward. Yes, but then people take that as rote and then they have no opportunity to express what they think. Because if it once again, if it does not fit that mold, they're screwed. Well, I think it breaks molds, though. Like you brought up the tactile, you brought up the visual, you brought up the auditory. Those are things that were invented so that teachers could teach to groups of kids effectively. This is a singular bot for a singular person. So rather than placing you in a group, it takes you out of these groups and teaches to your strengths and to your weaknesses. Because people have strengths and weaknesses. Rather than exploit those or rather than identify them and lump them into a category, we can strengthen their weaknesses and we can bolster their strengths. Well, yeah, well, and then I think that takes a person a human being to look at their weaknesses and to say, hey, actually, you have a strength here. You have a strength here. You can't do that online. Well, not yet, but the technology is being advanced forward. But 
Yes, but not as we sit today. That right. is not there. And I can't tell you how many students I've worked with over the last 400 years. <laughs> 500. Let's be, let's be real here, 500. All right, 500. No, no scrunching the facts. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't tell you how many students I've worked with who I've seen weaknesses with. I've personally worked with, not online. I've personally worked with, and I see their weaknesses and we end up turning them around into strengths and it all comes from a personal approach and it has nothing to do with the internet it has nothing to do with anything outside of just being a real human being mm-hmm. talking and having discourse and in some kind and in, in many times discord uh, with another human being you know although i will preach technology to the end of the earth i definitely do agree with you on and the fact that human connection is vital you know we're social animals and uh, i could are I, we anymore though i would say are that, we social animals anymore do you what do you carry in your, around in your pocket all the time my wallet what else do you carry around well, with my you phone all the time? your my phone. phone because you got to stay connected all the time right why why do you have to stay connected all the time when I was a kid, we had one telephone in our house. It was on the second floor of the house. It was in a hallway. When that phone rang, somebody picked it up. And if it was dinner time, nobody answered that phone. Well, we still have that. I, I have that and, custom at least. Well, but. in our house, we didn't have an answering machine. I mean, the answering machine, we didn't have that kind of technology yet. Mm-hmm. And my father would always say, well, if, it, if it's important, they'll call back later. Yep, my father said the same thing. Yeah. Well, your father, I've who, whom I've met, is a... Terrific person, Harvard guy, and uh, I like him. But uh, you know what I mean? It, it, it was family time, and it was now, and I have two daughters, and we have just finished with our holiday season, but I even have to compete with my daughters constantly on their phones, texting their friends, mm. and not only that, but when you go to a funeral even these days, people have their phones out, and they are constantly connected. Well, a funeral is not a great time to be socially connected right. to the universe. Okay, it, it, it's a time for mourning, it's a time for sharing, it's a time for this. It's a time for socializing with other human beings. That's who, true. Who, all of whom uh, knew the deceased. You know, it's it's been a very uh, interesting uh, holiday season for me. When I go out, I leave my phone at home. Really? Absolutely. If someone wants to contact me, if there's an emergency, then they call me, and when I get home, I respond. That's that's fair. Um I just and, and and why do I do that? Because I want to be engaged with the people around me, right? By the people in a restaurant or in a bar, and I don't spend a lot of time in bars anymore. But you know, I want to be engaged with them. And what I keep finding is that while I'm talking to them and they're talking to me, they're still on their phone, on their devices, and I, of course, have left mine at home. I I can empathize with you completely on that. Um, She's going to kill me, but my girlfriend does that all the time, right? Kayla will be, (laughs) 
uh, on her phone, will be watching something on the computer, ironically, and she'll be on her phone. And it really bothers me. No, I don't think, though, that you can blame really the person for that. Because I've been, I've, I've done some reading in the past on the way. I'm not blaming the person. I'm just saying this is what technology is, is, is brought us to. Right, and there, there are loopholes, not loopholes. There are backdoors in the mind that that technology purposefully exploits. You get the little dopamine rush when, when your email ding pops. You get excited when, when you get the social feedback from on Facebook. You. You, you enjoy the likes, you enjoy the comments. It's all playing on your psychology. But the boon of it is that I can stay connected. I can talk to my friend who's in California anytime I want. I can talk to my friend who's in Georgia. I have a bunch of friends in Georgia. I can talk to them anytime I decide to. Without the phone, let alone without a smartphone, hell, I can see their face when I FaceTime. It's wonderful. I mean, I don't know what I would do. I FaceTime or call one of my friends in Georgia every week. It's just, it's a pleasure because on the phone, you don't get the human interaction that you do when you are talking to somebody, I will agree. And it's even more degraded over text. But technology has come so far, right? It's gone from its beta to its alpha to its current state, which is probably still a beta, but it's state where you can, where you can see somebody on the phone when you're talking to them. I think that's wonderful. You know, I think there's still some kinks that need to be worked out, but I'm just, I'm very, very hopeful and excited for where it takes us in the future. I want to ask you a question. What's that question? And I want an honest opinion. Okay. Or an honest answer, rather. When you get an email, how excited do you get? It depends on who the email's from, honestly. Well, say, say it's from one of your best friends. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. When you check your mailbox, if you get a letter, to, uh, and people don't really write letters anymore, are you more excited about reading that letter than reading that email? Because I, mean, I, I haven't am. gotten I haven't gotten a letter from someone in a long time. Of course, so. you see, I mean, here's somebody writing a letter, and just for for those at home, I'm I'm just kind of scratching out here. He's not. I'm writing him. a letter. All right. Whatever happened to the written word and writing a, a, a heartfelt letter and sending it through the post? It takes too long. It takes too long. Yeah. It takes too long, exactly. And that's why what I'm saying is that this generation that has grown up with all this incredible technology wants everything right now. They want an answer now. They don't want to do their due diligence. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. They want an answer right now. There's Instead, when I was an undergraduate and I needed to verify sources, I didn't have an email. We didn't have even computers. We had typewriters. And I would write letters to authors saying, hey, I have a question for you. And then I, and I always started it earlier. And I'd wait for a couple of weeks for a response, and I always got a response back. And it was always such, such a nice gift, okay? And I waited and waited and waited for those. And then the anticipation was what made it worthwhile. There's a hurricane coming, but let me write. Let me write you a letter informing you well, of the now hurricane. Well, now you're changing. Now you're changing the subject. No, it's it's the same idea though. It's that instant gratification. Of course, it has its downfalls, but how do we inform people of impending disasters? How do we inform people of news that they need to hear? 
if not instantaneously. Yes. Well, technology has a problem with that. First of all, I went through Irma, and we were without power for seven and a half days. We had no internet. We had no telephone service. Mm -hmm. We had no, we had nothing. So we just hunkered down, and especially we didn't have any air conditioning, which drove us crazy. We still made it because we were self-reliant. And I think one of the things about technology is is that you need something fixed. You get on the Internet and you find somebody to fix it rather than fixing it yourself, which has been a boon to businesses Mm -hmm. and uh, especially cottage industries. I mean, in, 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 instead of, of going to, to your own wits and, and, and relying on what you've learned, we are raising a generation who don't know how to change a tire because they have to look at YouTube before they can even figure out how to change a tire. And in most cases, they don't do that because they just get on the computer and say, hey, somebody needs coming, you know, I got a flat. And, oh, yeah, we'll be there. And uh, they get on their smartphone, actually. And then they say, I got a flat tire. I'm out on, you know, highway, whatever. And, oh, okay, yeah, no problem. And that's probably a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because people are losing their ability to take care of themselves. And has technology helped business? I think it has, but I think it's also hurt it. Should we even delve into politics? But (laughs) I think as individuals, especially for younger individuals, we now, I mean, I'm not talking about me, but young people now wish just to look everything up and they want it all right now. Right, but doesn't doesn't that provide a sense of humbleness as well? Because before, people just knew things, right? Instead of having to look something up and fact check, fact check against what their pre- preconceived notions were. Let me tell you something. My yeah. very first car was a 1963 VW Bug. Mm-hmm. All right, I bought it for $70. $70. That's a good deal. Couldn't find a starter for the thing. All right, and it was barely running. And I ordered over the phone a Chilton's Guide to help me fix my car. And by doing it myself, I learned so much about that car because I did it myself. And not only that, but I had been shown for many, many years how to fix a car by my father. And I think we're just... But, but And that's just one example. You know, I learned how to change brakes. I didn't need technology to do that. I just kind of looked at it before I changed the brakes and said, okay, well, I'm going to try to put them back the same way I just saw them. Hmm. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But when it didn't work, I learned something from it. We are not really learning, I don't think, anymore. We're just spitting back what is on the internet we are learning though because we're absorbing information you can choose this is the thing you can choose to use the internet for not productive purposes you can choose to spend all day watching youtube videos that are pointless or on facebook just constantly refreshing your timeline 
Or you can use YouTube to learn things. You could use Facebook to connect to people you wouldn't have been able to connect to before. You can use Google to look up any question that you want an answer to. People who run internet companies probably should have more, more of a moral barometer because I think that that's lacking. You know, a corporation is amoral. They don't really care about the good of their consumers as long as they're still consuming. I think that that's wrong. And I think that in the age of information, businesses have to pick up the slack. They really do. Because you look at Facebook and the only way it makes money is by having people on the website for longer periods of time. Because the longer you're on the website, the more ads you're served, the more ads you're served, the more money they make. How is that moral? How is it moral to want to just eat up people's time? I think that that's horrible. Don't get me wrong. They got to make a living, I guess. But I don't see how that is a good for the society. I think yes, because when you compromise your individuality, when you get into one of these things, I mean, for example, I like to let, to wear ladies' underwear. <laughs> just, He's not kidding, folks. I've seen it. Trust me. <laughs> so I order some really gnarly stuff, but then it shows up now every time I get online, you know. I'm just, that's a joke. I'm, I'm just using It's the, not a joke. It is a it's joke. It's not a joke. It is a joke. I'm looking at his computer right now. <laughs> but uh, when you order something online, they got you. Yeah. And, and what happened to your individuality? And, and it's not just when you buy something. It's because you become part of a market and a market where... Not only do they want your money, but they want you as an individual. Mm -hmm. And eventually, they say to you, oh, Dylan, you can't order. Well, I'm not even going to tell you what Dylan orders online because that would be very embarrassing. <laughs> but, you know, you can't order that anymore. We're going to cut you off until you pay more for it. Or what about, and then we have to look at the government and, and because they're looking at all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And what about personal freedoms and, and, and things of that nature? I think we are compromising ourselves tremendously and we're putting ourselves at risk by be, are exposing ourselves and our bank accounts and everything else to everyone. And businesses are thriving, yes. Then at a price, politically, well, jeepers, don't even get me stuck to, on that. And while many of you, you know, know that I'm, a, I'm fairly moderate, I mean, our current president, I mean, come on. <laughs> what do you think about that? Oh, boy. Where do I start? <laughs> I mean. I wanted uh, to give you something. I got to throw you a bone, kid. I feel like he's a populist. He just rides on this wave of feelings and, and emotions and reactions and moment to moment you know he's willing to change his tune at the point of a question if somebody asks him a question he doesn't like immediately the press press conference is over i no i'm not going to answer that i'm not going to answer that sit down instead of calmly collecting himself and answering the question i'm getting personal but it just it bothers me it really does when he uses twitter which mm. is new technology i've mm. never tweeted you're missing out man when the president tweets that's technology he shows his hand 
And he was the one who was was going after President Obama about showing his hand. Mm. But it shows his vulnerability. And I think he's just a, uh, a product of this age. And uh, even though he's, what, a hundred... The president has to be over a hundred years old now. Almost about fossilized. With that rug that he's got on his head. But uh, he killed many rare animals for that thing. Don't you disrespect it? <laughs> but uh, you know, people tweet things out all the time, and then they later apologize. The president doesn't do that because he's president. But let me ask you a question: mm-hmm. FDR, uh, I think it was every weekend, every Saturday or every Sunday, used to have a fireside chat. He used to get on the radio, and he used to talk to the nation during the Great Depression and during throughout World War II. He gave the nation confidence. And yes, the economy is going through the roof. The Dow was at over 25,000 now. Mm. But would you rather listen to someone who's presidential on the radio or read it in the newspaper than get these obnoxious tweets which every time someone comes after this president, he responds with such childish tweets. And again, I am a Republican, and I think many Republicans feel the same way, but it's all because of technology. But I don't think you can necessarily blame Twitter for his outbursts. Had he been on the radio at the time, probably would have been similar. I mean, you've heard the man speak. It's not exactly listening to a graduation speech. It's more like listening to a toddler whine. Yes, but it, it, it wouldn't have been that immediate. That's fair. It wouldn't have reached as many people, and it yeah. wouldn't have stirred as many pots as it has. The president has more responsibility now than he ever has in the history of time. Mm-hmm. Not only does he have to to watch what he does every hour of every day of every week, he has to watch what he says. He has to watch who's around him in the age of leaks and, and information and everything that you could even think of getting out. It will, it'll get out. Yeah. I'm just going to sum things up here. Okay. From a social, uh, political, and economic standpoint, let, let me, from a social uh, standpoint, I think all this technology is not a good thing. Certainly it helps, as you pointed out earlier, medical, you know, the medical field and things of that nature. Politically, I think, <laughs> with all these Twitter accounts, I think these politicians are, are just trying to gain more followers and, as a result, more money. Uh, from an economic standpoint, I'm on the fence. All in all, I rely on the social aspect, and I think that all of this technology has just driven human beings and neighbors apart from one another and mm. has made it so bleak. There was a, a study done that found that it's a very basic study. They just did some, some simple questioning and they surveyed people and they found that in the past 20 years, people's houses have increased the size of their houses have increased. Well, the size of their friend group has decreased. That's right. So they have more space, but less friends to share it with. And that's pretty sad. Mm-hmm. All that being said, socially, I think it also ties in economically with my view. There's so much potential 
for an incredibly utopian society utilizing the current technology and the future technologies. But people just need to stop taking advantage of other people. It's sad to see the lack of empathy that goes into technology. We're humans. We need to be empathetic to one another. But with a screen in front of you, it's kind of hard. And with money to make, it's even harder. That's that's really sad. So I think socially, it could be an incredible force, but it's not due to lack of, of innovation empathetically. Politically, it is put so much power into the hands of politicians. Not, not only politicians, but into figureheads. People can rise up to infamy or, or fame through no, no doing of their own and have a cult of followers around them. They become celebrities. They become celebrities. And celebrities have never had more influence in the past than they do now. You got more people watching the Kardashians than you do the, the political debates. Politically, I think a change is coming. You can see it now with the election of Donald Trump. I don't think that the, the standard politician is going to make the cut anymore. I think you need figureheads and I think you need popular people. Not need, but I think that that's what's going to happen. And economically, it's scary because the only way these corporations make money, internet corporations make money, is by exploiting people. And that's not a good thing. Whatever happened to making, as you said before, making a product and giving it to somebody in need, that doesn't happen anymore. You have people that are being consumed rather than being consumers. And that's kind of scary. I agree. Very well said. Thank you, my friend. My only, the only thing I would add is that when I was in high school, once again, 500 years ago, the most popular people at my high school went on to do next to nothing. Yeah. And I agree with you when you say people look good and they say what everyone wants to hear via technology. They look good on TV. They look good in. They look great in HD. <laughs> For you know? Don't even get me started. And. Uh, they send out these great t- tweets or whatever the hell it is, Instagram now, and they beckon to an audience, but in reality... They don't have much to say. Yeah. There's not much uh, not much behind them. And that's, again, that's scary to me. It's just weird to think that this is the place that we've gotten to. It's almost, I don't want to be melodramatic, but it's almost like the fall of the Roman Empire, you know, where we idolized those who who shouldn't be idolized and we spent time in the in the gladiator arenas instead of instead of talking to one another but well you bring up a great point because all roads led to Rome now all roads in America via technology lead where the white house in the white house in America yeah. itself anyways this has been winging it forward uh, if you want to give us an email, shoot us a question, let us know what you think. You can reach us at wingingitforward at gmail.com, all lowercase. Thank you so much for tuning in, and if you stuck it out this far, really appreciate you. Sorry for the bit of delay. My uh, <laughs> my co-host Mac was stuck in Boston in that, what do they call it, a bomb torn- bomb cyclone? I think that's what they called it. But dear Lord, it's the th- it's, do you know it's the same weather pattern from a day after tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time. This is Dylan out. Thank you, everyone. I look forward to 
speaking uh, my mind again soon. See ya. See ya. <laughs>